Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. We've got our micro disc in there. Matt, how are we doing today? Oh, I'm not too bad. How are you, Justin? Doing excellent. Excellent. It's my wife's birthday today. I don't think my wife, Nicole, listens to this, but happy birthday to her. Happy birthday, Nicole. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm sure she appreciates it. I got her some nice Crave Cupcakes, and she loves Crave Cupcakes. I was going to get her a cake, but decided to go with the Crave Cupcake situation. It, so. You're going to be fine, I think. I hope so. Well, Matt, let's recap the Astros. How's everything going in the Astros world? Well, we made it to the All-Star break. Yeah. And it couldn't come fast enough given the variety of minor injuries. Mm. And I was actually at the game yesterday. took my son. Ah, very cool. Strong endorsement for the Astros Buddies program. <laughs> okay. Where what? I think it's like 30 bucks and they get a backpack and they get a shirt and they huh. get, you get four tickets to select games. And I was Sweet. actually able to pay $10 extra per ticket to get a little closer up, which I thought would help him take in the game. He just turned four. Yeah. And we made it through six innings, which was good because everything sort of imploded with the Astros by that point anyways. <laughs> okay. But, you know, it was the, all right, This if you make it this long, we'll go get popcorn. If you make it this long, we'll go get the ice cream with the hat in it. I've heard that's the and, kind of the, you know, if you take it in strides, inning by inning or every few innings, it keeps them, you know, engaged. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I remember the thing I was looking back on is I remember I was like five when I went to my first Astros game, and I don't remember how attentive I was necessarily way yeah. back when, but my dad would be like, we don't have money for anything. Like, <laughs> you got into the stadium, I might buy myself a pack of peanuts. Yeah. Maybe you'll get a hot dog if you're good. Like, <laughs> But I don't remember all this exuberance, so yeah. I, I don't want to spoil my son, but I love him to death, and yeah. it allowed me to stay at the game longer. For sure. This was, I think my son was one or two maybe, and my daughter was would have been four, and it was Father's Day a few years ago, and I was like, hey, what do you want to do? And I looked, and I was like, it would be cool to go to an Astros game with the family. And, of course, the Toronto Blue Jays were playing. So, was, you know, naturally, like, oh, it'll be fun. You know, like, yeah. Blue Jays are in town. And because it was four of us. And so I had to get four tickets, which, I don't know, it was a weekend, Father's Day. So, of course, it was busy. And we sat, I think, in the furthest seat in the stadium that you could possibly sit at. I didn't think it was going to be that far, but it was. And my son, it was so high that my son, like, my kids were kind of scared. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this wasn't great. So we spent a lot of time, like, not even at the seat. It was more just at the concession stand, peek our head out, look at the, you know, miniature micro people on the field. And yeah. I was like, ah, okay, lesson learned. Just if you're going to go with the kids, spend the decent amount of money to sit where they can actually see something and it not look like they're on top of Mount Everest. Sounds like your experience is a little better. It was good. I mean, he'd been to, we actually went to a Rangers game in Arlington. Oh, cool. With actually the Permian AES crew way back when. Ah, yes. And Elijah liked that one because he got to ride the trolley. And look, I don't have a lot of nice things to say about the Texas Rangers. And their stadium's kind of dark, in my opinion. And Ah. the outfield is weird. But they do have a lot of little nooks and crannies for kids to kind of play around on. And so they did a good job with family kind of stuff. And so... He made it pretty much the whole game with the clear opportunity to ride the trolley back <laughs> nice. to the hotel. So That would have been fun. Yeah. Very but, cool. Yeah. 
Well, with that said, Matt, why don't we get on to the mud side of things? You know, and I'm excited to bring back the Why Matt Hates series. You know, hate's a powerful word like we've described in the past, but it's just one of those nuisance things that, you know, when you've done something for as long and as many times as you have, I'm sure there's, you know, common questions or things that come up that really just kind of irk you. And today is going to be, we're going to discuss the capillary suction timer or CST for those who like acronyms. Matt, why don't you go ahead and describe it first and foremost? So this is used, it's supposed to be used for shale testing. And what it is, is you basically got a tube set above a piece of filter paper and you mix up a slurry of whatever your shale sample is with your base fluid. It could be KCL, it could be fresh water as a baseline, whatever. But you mix up the slurry, you pour it into the tube, and then the paper is going to absorb that liquid and it's going to carry out. And as it's absorbed, there's an electrode and it starts a timer. And then it absorbs further out of the paper and then another electrode reaches, feel, you know, sends that liquid mm. and it shuts off. So it's the time between those two electrodes. And the idea is that if the slurry is well inhibited or, you know, the solids stay together, the filtrate will move faster. So a shorter time, the argument would be you're ha- getting better inhibition. Mm. And so it's one of these tests that we get asked for every so often, but I got a slew of requests recently and <laughs> it's not my favorite. You could say I hate it more than I hate most things. <laughs> and I felt we should talk about it. Yeah, well, I'm sure just like any test, there's the right application for it. And sometimes maybe it gets overused or people are trying to solve a problem and by requesting this in hopes that the problem is then going to be resolved based off the results of the test. But I mean, I guess, you know, where did this whole thing originate from? Well, keep in mind that we steal most ideas from somewhere else in the oil field, right? And this originated from sludge and sewage treatment. Hmm. So you think you're trying to effectively flocculate out solids. If you can get them all to stick together, that's kind of better performance. And this is a quick test that just about anybody can run. So you could basically sort of spot check, is my flocculant additive okay? And then that sort of translated over to, you know, dewatering. And, you know, some polymers are, not only do they flocculate or agglomerate solids, but they stick to clays and limit water invasion. And so it was, aha, maybe we can just kind of trend our way through these things. And, you know, we'll have a quantitative means to measure how an inhibitor is performing on a certain clay sample. So kind of conceptually, it does make sense. And it is somewhat applicable. Well, I say somewhat. It's actually very applicable in the right circumstance, right? So there are some trends that exist. However, there's about a million different ways that these things are inaccurate. And in one way, I think the reason people have been drawn to this test is it's very easy to conceptualize. Like, it makes sense. Oh, if the solids stay together, that means the clay is not swelling or it's not mixing with the base fluid. That's inhibition. And I get a time and that's a quantitative number. Right. But... There's a million different ways that this thing can be unreliable and it provides fairly inconsistent results. And so those are the things that sort of drive me nuts. You know, I have in my outline here, apologies, (laughs) that I listed error twice and that probably should speak to, you know, how much of an issue I have with it. But there's just too much error to separate one inhibitor from another in a drilling fluid. These things vary by temperature. So the temperature of the fluid when you're mixing it up will actually change the results. Hmm. The number of solids, just the sheer presence of solids can alter your results. 
viscous fluids will alter the results. So let's say you had a brine and you compared it to a polymer and with no inhibition package whatsoever. Just because the fluid is viscous, it's not going to move as fast. It's going to appear more inhibitive. So, you know, shear rate. So the shear rate at which you mix the fluid to prepare the sample can dramatically alter the results. There's a master's thesis where somebody made this observation where they're like, well, if you don't mix it for the same amount of time, depending on the sample, you'll actually get pretty significant results. And the official results, you do three readings of the same fluid and take the average, which once again tells you how confident are you in this. Mm. Well, a lot of the work instructions even say, take four to five readings, throw out the bad ones, whatever that means, <laughs> and take an average of the three. Uh, depending that, on what narrative you're trying to build. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, what, what numbers do you want to see? Um, <laughs> and so I think, you know, we've gone through shale inhibition testing quite a bit on our podcast. And the issue I have, this test in particular, I find particularly worthless to generate the kind of insight we need to make decisions and I don't even think because there's so much error that it actually complements other tests, where when we talk about something like a dispersion test, some of these other tests, you run it with other things and you might get some insight. I'd never run any of these tests in isolation, but I don't think I would use the results I got off of a capillary suction timer mm. would not influence or I wouldn't want it to influence my decision based off of a better quality test or several better quality tests. Okay, so you would use it in conjunction with others to see if perhaps the results in this may open up other questions that you need to look further into? Or I would basically say, don't run this test. <laughs> so that's, you know, and so that's the thing is our esteemed lab manager feels very similar to me. Well, that's good. <laughs> and, There's alignment uh, there. That's that's good. And it's just very strange because you'll talk to certain folks who will be like, well, I absolutely have to have this test. And our like concern is like, I don't want you to make any decision off this data. This isn't even something I would use with something else and feel good about it. The reason we have a capillary suction timer is because the customer is our boss and we will do everything we can as a courtesy to them. Mm. But I would argue that even if they asked for a capillary suction timer test, I would, if I had enough sample, run other tests and present all of the data, mm. including some commentary suggesting that they look at what we recommend. And so it's just, I feel like this test is one that a lot of people are familiar with, a lot of folks ask for without understanding all of the error and potential confusion. And so we're not big fans. And like most of these shale tests, there's no standard for good, right? So what's a good number for inhibition? 10 seconds, 30 seconds, 3,000 seconds. And the longer it takes, the more mathematical error there is and variability in your results. I took a quote from <laughs> an earlier, this is from soil people talking about it. So this is even before we use it in drilling fluids. Okay. Numerous authors have argued that CST may have its practical advantages. But because it has no fundamental underpinning, it cannot be properly used as a research tool. Hmm. And we're not necessarily doing R&D, but we are trying to do laboratory experiments to determine the best shale inhibition package for a formation. And if we're kind of already starting off with that, I would say I hate the capillary suction timer. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think it's good and, it, you know, comical relief aside, I think it's important to at least sort of dissect some of these tests because, you know, if we're going to be honest and position ourselves as authorities, like we can't always just run with whatever comes at us and say, okay, yeah, we'll run this and here's the results. And we believe like, I think it's important for us to think 
critically about some of these tests because that's, you know, like why we are giving the suggestions and why we are, you know, perhaps, you know, in my opinion, you know, a step above a lot of others is that we have guys like you and, and Lee who've gone through these and done these tests so many times to say, wait a minute, there's a better way of doing this. And I think our customers appreciate that because it's, you know, if we just say yes to everything and run with the results, well then, you know, I just, I don't think they're getting the most value from us as they could be. So aside from, you know, laughing when, you know, I see the title when these come across, but I think it's good to dissect these things and hopefully the customers and the audience does too. Well, I mean, that's the goal, right? Our goal is to serve the customer. There's two different ways to do that. One is to do what they ask of you. And one is to make sure that, you know, what's behind the question is actually getting answered. And so, you know, sometimes you'll have a customer say, I want this lab test run. And you're not trying to be resistant, but you want to say, okay, well, could you explain why? Mm. Because maybe there's something more we can do. Maybe there's something better we can do. Could we talk about that? Yeah. And guess what? We have customers who have no problem saying, shut up. I want what I want. (laughs) And we do it. Right. And we're going to do it to the best of our ability. But if we're doing these tests to mitigate risk, solve a problem, answer a question, we want to make sure we're answering the right question. We want to make sure that the customer is as informed as they can be. So customer service means I can hate the capillary suction timer and still have one in my lab. Yeah. And conversely, if somebody asks for it, I'm going to ask, okay, what is the grand objective here? Because we're afraid this might give you information that won't give you the best opportunity. So sometimes it's hard though, because you do ask the question and it sounds like you're resisting doing a lab test or something. So you've you've got to be very humble. You have to ask good questions. But this is one where I can't just say I hate it, even though I do. (laughs) I have to ask, okay, well, why do you have so much faith in this instrument? And could we do a couple of other things just in case, you know? Yeah, exactly. And with that said, if anyone out there has experienced running these or has had a good experience and result with running stuff like this, then please reach out. Or if you have any questions on, you know, what Matt thinks about other tests, I'm sure he'd be happy to elaborate on any other tests that come across the desk here. But with that said, if you have any questions, thoughts, please hit us up on LinkedIn. You can reach out to us over email at Podcast at asfluids.com. And Matt, any closing last words for the audience? No, I said what I said. (laughs) Perfect. Well, thanks for all the support. Please leave a review, subscribe. And if you could share this with anyone that may be interested in the drilling fluids world. And thanks again for listening. Take care, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.